On Sundays that we do communion, the sermon comes earlier, which is now. You turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I didn't know what to expect when I started working on this text. And like a lot of other of these texts in Ecclesiastes, it's been a challenge. It's been good for me. I've had to fight with them a lot. But uh, I had no idea first coming into it what a good text it would be for a communion Sunday. But it really is. Um, Theme of giving. We know our God is the ultimate giver. Following Christ means we will be givers. And so um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in chapter 11 this morning. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning... Sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would take your word, that your spirit would apply your word to our hearts such that if we don't know you, seeds of the gospel would be planted. Or maybe today is the day that those who one one or two or more of those who don't know you actually turn and trust in Christ and give themselves to you. But for the rest of us who do know you, some, some who are weak, some who are struggling, some who are strong right now, some maybe who are rebelling against you in certain areas, some are, who are very sensitive and doubt more than they should. Just take your word. Minister to our hearts. Convert and strengthen us. Build us up to be your people who love you, who stand for you, who live and die for you, knowing we will reign with you forever and ever in perfect and complete joy, all because you sacrificed yourself for us. We will never give to the extents that that you have given. Make us givers, Lord. And help us not just to think about money when we think about giving. But help us not to exclude it either. Bless us this morning with your word. Lift high your son. Help me to preach it. Help us to hear it diligently as the word of God. Speak to your people, Lord Jesus. With a living voice, as your word is proclaimed, we pray it and trust for it and thank you for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Money. That's what I want. Lots of money. That's what I want. A whole lot of money. That's what I want. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to skip some of the that's what I want. Whoa, yeah, give me money, oh, lots of money. All those lean greens, yeah, I got that, uh, that's what I mean. All that I want, that's what I want. Whoa, yeah, give me money, yeah, that's what I want. Kenneth Copeland, no. If you don't know why I might joke about that, that dude has actually stood up and said, Money, come to me in a church service. Run from people like that. That was the Beatles. 
in a song called Money. And as I read it, you might not have recognized it. If you go listen to it, you'll say, oh, that's what they were saying in that song. (laughs) It accurately sums up a worldly mindset when it comes to mammon, which is money and stuff. Think about, we are born with this this default setting. It's more blessed to have than to give. That's, why, that's how we're born. And I guess, and I know, kids especially, sometimes they are, are, tend to be sweet and generous when they're, mine! Uh, it's more blessed to receive than to give is how we're born. To have than to give. Why did the rich young ruler leave Jesus deeply discouraged? Because he loved his stuff. His stuff was his idol. He held on to it. Sure, he wanted an eternal life. But not at the expense of his stuff. And I hold out hope that he did repent. Why did the rich fool build bigger barns instead of giving? Because he idolized his stuff. His stuff, this world, had his heart. And why did I call him a fool? Because Jesus did. How much does it take to satisfy a man? A little bit more. That was the answer. Self-centered, hear me, self-centered greed is not the path to joy. And there is really no unself-centered greed, but greed is not the path to joy. Never has been, never will be. To the extent that I'm greedy, what I'm going to need to be satisfied is just a little more no matter how much I get. I mean, kids can even relate to this. You, you get this toy that you've really wanted, and you finally get it, and it's not perfect. And after a little while, you need another one. It's teaching you not to find your joy in stuff, but in your God who made you. Thankfully, our God is not that way. He is not greedy holder he's a hilarious giver he gives freely overflowingly ultimately demonstrated in the gift of his son and his son's willing coming and the spirit applying that to our hearts and jesus think about this jesus whole life could be described by this one word give give Glory to the Father. Give joyful obedience to the Father. Worship to the Father. Blessing to the people. He came to give Himself, to pour Himself out to save us. He gave up glory to come and take a human nature and live a life of humiliation under His own law, fulfilling it in thought, word, and deed so that He could have a, give His people a perfect righteousness. And he laid his life down for the glory of the Father and for the good of his people so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. All for the glory of the Father and the good of his people. Jesus was focused outside himself. And he calls us to be focused outside ourselves. He gave and he is still giving And he is very diligent and intentional and purposeful in his generosity. And he calls us to follow him. What does it mean to follow him? It means be like him. Strive to be like him. To love the way he loved. To serve the way he served and to give the way he gave and is still giving. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're winding down on towards the end of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Ecclesiastes is a book about joy. It's a book about peace. It's a book about purpose. It's meant to give you soul rest. 
to point you in the right direction. Solomon has been shaking us, saying, look around, look at the word, listen to me. This is not your home. You are just passing through. You live in a fallen world. Yes, there's injustice and corruption and disappointment and sickness and death for everybody. Just testifying to God's word being true. This is a fallen world you live in. Not everybody loves God. A lot of people rebel against God. In fact, everybody does apart from His grace. So listen to me. Under the sun, you will find nothing but vanity. Temporary. Not sustaining. Not lasting. Not satisfying. You will always need just a little bit more here. So look above the sun to the God who created you, who sacrificed His Son to save you, who's given you His Word. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Find your joy and purpose in Him. Then you will know how to live here, even in the midst of this suffering, with joy and on mission, with purpose for Him. And part of living with purpose for Him is being generous. And that's why I I entitled this, uh, uh, coming from the text, Lord willing, I hope, A Diligent Generosity. From verses 1 to 6. The main point, because of God's generosity to you in Christ, pursue a life of diligent, focused, generosity. In other words, imitate Jesus. Be generous because of God's generosity, because of His grace. See, our our works, our attempts to be like Him are our response to seeking to love Him because He has loved us. It's a response to grace, not legalism. I can never make myself by my actions acceptable to Him. But when He saves you and when the Spirit really turns the lights on for you and you see that you deserve hell, but Christ took it for you. He died to pay the penalty that justice demanded be paid so that you could go free and be be saved and have His Spirit and His righteousness and hope forever. When you really get a picture of who Jesus is and that that was and is for you, it'll produce love in your heart. For him, gratitude to him. And he even told us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not a harsh thing. It's just a statement of fact. If you, you want to see how much you love Jesus, don't look to your feelings. Look to your life. How much of your life is defined by his truth? Because if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And one of his commandments is give like I've given to you. Love, remember the new commandment. Not just that you love one another, but that you love one another how the way I have loved you. And the way he has loved us is give. Entirety of himself for us. So give the entirety of yourself to and for him by being generous to your neighbor especially to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. First of all, look, be generous by obeying God. Look back at the word. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. This first part right here, cast your bread upon the waters, is a command. It is a command, and it might sound like a strange command. I mean, we're not feeding ducks. That's not what he's talking about at the park. You know, people will be throwing bread in the water feeding the ducks. But this means to send out or to shoot. And it refers to the action of sending something to someone else. When you cast it, you are sending it to someone else. And bread here represents our basic substance that sustains life. And bread's used in a lot of different ways in Scripture, but bread was a basic staple. It was a staff of the diet. It was a basic staple of the diet. And it represents basic necessities. It represents what we live on. It represents what was produced by labor through sowing and cultivating and reaping. You know, you think about growing wheat. 
That's a lot of work to grow wheat. Somebody's got to till the ground or, or plow the ground and put the seed in the ground and, and take care of that crop until the wheat is produced and harvest that crop. But you don't have bread yet. You have to take that seed and do all the things you do with the seed to make and cook and have bread that sustains life. So it's a picture of our basic necessities. It's what provides those basic necessities. Bread, in a lot of ways, was income. It represents what God has given to sustain life. Think about the Lord's Prayer. What did Jesus say? Lord, give us this day our daily steak. Our daily bread. Meaning, <clears throat> give us what we need today to live for you and survive and grow for you. Give us what we need. Give us our daily necessities. Give us what's needful for body and soul today. And here in this verse, Solomon is telling us, now listen, he's getting, he's getting ready to talk about enjoying life again. Rejoicing in life. And he's going to focus, he's going to speak to the young people. We'll, we'll see that next time as we, and it won't just be for the young people. But he's going to speak directly to them. But he's getting ready to speak again about enjoying life. And so leading up to that, with all the wisdom we've already seen, and this here preparing for the future uh, by being generous, he's preparing us to enjoy. Remember, that's what I said. The path, greed is never a path to joy. It's never a path to satisfaction. And so he's setting us up for enjoying life by challenging us to be generous with what? He entrusts to us. So here he's commanding us to take some, not all. You do have to provide for your families. But you don't have to provide for your imagination. Beware. Take some of what we have to live on and send it out. Give. Give. You might be saying, well, there you go, another preacher talking about money. I'm, I'm not just talking about money. But I am talking about money. As well as our life, our time, our talents, everything God gives to us and entrusts to us. We need to be generous with. And we only talk about it when it comes up in Scripture. We preach through books, and it's coming up today. So I'm not going to skip it just because of people like Kenneth Copeland and, Copeland and others who abuse it. We'll deal with it because we need conviction about this as well as anything else. But it says, cast your bread upon the waters. And the, the idea here of casting it upon the waters is sending it away, not expecting it back. I mean, go down to the ocean today with, with some bread or a note in a bottle or whatever you want to throw in the ocean and throw it out there. Go back tomorrow and look for it. It's probably gone somewhere else because of current and tides and wind and all that. The idea here is to send it away, not giving to get. That's one of the, one of the things I absolutely despise about prosperity preachers is, is that teasing of you. That if you'll send me some money, God will give you a bunch of money. No, the generous heart is a heart that trusts God and is willing to give without expecting back. Can you hear Jesus' teachings echoing in that? Lend to those who can't pay you back. Give to those. Don't expect. Don't expect that material. You, you sow material and then you expect material. If you're giving to get that way, that's, that's, that's not Christianity. Okay? Yes, God will reward us and He promises blessing. And, and we determine blessing materially most of the time, and, and most of the time it doesn't mean that. Not that it never means that. But here's the promise at the end of this verse. He said, if, you, if you're willing to cast it out, and if you're willing to cast it out and not expect it back, if you're willing to take some of what's for your necessities, some of what God has provided you and invest it or cast it out, you will find it after many days. God does promise to reward obedience. And He does promise to bless obedience. And sometimes that is material blessing. 
But it's not only material blessing. And it's not primarily material blessing. It's spiritual growth. It's storing treasure in heaven. It's so many other things. But the promise is God will reward you. And look, it doesn't say right away. After many days. It seems to be taken an eternal perspective. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. God will reward you much later after this life. Treasure in heaven basically saying, trust God and give. Let me ask you a question. Does your giving require you to trust God? Because I'm, I, And I'm preaching to the choir because you guys do a great job at giving around here. An astonishingly good job. But you're not glorified yet. And some of you, not all of you are doing a great job. And listen, I don't know who gives what. I'm not looking through there to see who can I pick up. I got enough of my own sin to deal with without messing with yours. Right? So I have no idea who gives what. But it takes faith. If you're not giving to the point where it takes faith, maybe you're not giving as much as you need to. And I'm saying time, talent, resources, yes, financial. Look at verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen, look, on earth. Just as diversity is good in your earthly investments, so too in your heavenly investments. You know giving is a heavenly investment? Did you know that? The more you give, more treasure if you're doing it for the right reason, not legalistic reasons to make God love you, and, but because you love Jesus, the more you give, everything you give, you're actually storing in heaven. Reward. Blessing. Not just one gift, not just one place and check it off, but look what it says. Give a portion to seven, even to eight. Spread it around, in other words. Be generous, the way the Scripture talks about multiple. The more giving, the more treasure in heaven, the more joy. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, Scripture says that. So that's another test for me. Am I cheerful when I give? Am I a cheerful giver? Am I a disgruntled giver? Or am I a cheerful giver? I know a lady who was keeping children one time, and one of, the, one of the kids stole a truck or a toy from the other kid, and this lady told this kid to give it back. I want it! I want it! I want it! The kid said. And this lady looked at the kid and said, Yeah, and I want a Mercedes. Life's full of disappointment. Get it over it, kid. Kid went, gave the toy back to the other kid. He was not a cheerful giver. He was a disgruntled giver. He was angry. He wasn't used to anybody treating him that way. God loves it when out of love for him, we sacrifice for others. For his glory, in his church, in in his kingdom, in witness, in service, and yes, financially. He loves, and that's what it was talking about in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 when it says that. I'll let you go read that. And then Paul quoting Jesus when he says, now this, you know, the, the, the worldly mindset was it's more blessed to receive than to give, to have than to give. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't believe that. It's more blessed to give it away than it is to have it. And I'm just, how much do we not believe that? How much do we believe that? Our lives will tell us. It's convicting. I've had to live with this all week. You're just getting it one shot this morning. I hope you'll take it home with you. I mean, this is convicting stuff. Do I believe my Savior? Ask yourself that. Don't forget this. Go home asking yourself that. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
It is more blessed to give. And he is the master example of that. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Are you a generous giver? Are you storing treasure in heaven? Are you investing in the future? Or is it all about now? Or are you thinking, yes, I know, and I'm going to do that. When I get, mm, then I'm going to do that. If you ask your mindset, you'll never get, because mm, it'll always. Are you a giver now? If not, repent of that. Give up your time, talent, and resources to your Lord who has sacrificed himself for you. And therefore, store your treasure in heaven. Why? Listen to me. Where you're, He's going to tell us what happens based on the location of our treasure. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust break, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Did you catch that in our verse? For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. In verse 2, therefore lay it up in heaven where stuff can't get to it. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, it's secure. You can never lose it. Do we have a heavenly treasure mindset? Am I intentional about storing up treasure in heaven? Do I believe that everything I give to Christ and for Christ stores me treasure in heaven? Do I even think about that? Listen, unless you are heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. And the more truly heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll be. Jesus says, don't have your treasures here. He's not telling us, he's not saying don't have anything. Don't have, I mean, you, all through scripture, it's not a sin to possess things, but it is a sin for them to possess you. Store, lay up, store treasure in heaven. How? By being generous, hilariously generous, eight, seven or eight times generous, multiplicity, casting your bread upon the waters, trusting God. Nothing you sacrifice for Him will go unrewarded. Nothing. Zippo. But what we don't want to do is wait for reward. We've gotten used to having everything right now. And we fall prey to these nuts who stand up there and tell them, if you'll give them some money, you'll get back a hundredfold. And what they mean is money. You got burdens? I, I mean, I, oh, I can go off on that. I better quit. <clears throat> Did you know that a healthy eye in the Bible is a generous eye? That's when Jesus says, whoa, if your eye is bad. It means it's a selfish eye. You can't serve God and mammon, money and stuff, all that. A healthy eye is a generous eye, a generous, generous spirit. And here God is commanding us to be generous, overflowingly generous, right? To seven to eight. Generous as much as possible. Like Jesus. I mean, listen... Convicting for me, throw it on you today. Do I intentionally think about giving as much as possible of myself, my time, my talent, my resource, what he blesses me with? Is that my goal, to give as much as possible? And, and I'll confess my sin, I'll confess yours, maybe. A lot of the times, if we're not careful, it's our goal to give as little as possible so we can check it off. And do our own thing. But he's saying, cast your bread upon the water. Store your treasure in heaven. Seven to eight times, be generous. You, you can't out-generous God. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross to prove it. So if we are to be generous, hilariously generous. You can see that there. And if we're going to do this, we're going to have to a, a, avoid distraction and not wait on ideal conditions. Look at the next verses. Verses 3 through 5. Verse 3. 
Here are three things that can paralyze your working and your giving. Verse 3 is the inevitabilities of life. Look, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And you read that, and you, especially if you read it out of context and go, oh, oh, wow, thanks, that helps. Did you know that God used the second half of that verse to convict and save R.C. Sproul? When he, read, he didn't want to be the tree that fell and just lie there, useless, lost. God can do amazing things through Scripture, and you, you, you would not think. But see, this is talking about things that are just inevitable. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes things fall. Sometimes things fail. I better not give because so, something bad might happen. If I give, I, I won't have enough. I can't give yet until I... <clears throat> Don't let the inevitabilities of life in a fallen world cloud your judgment, cloud your vision, and paralyze you from working. Or giving. I, I, I got to move on. I, I could say a lot more, but I have, I have a purpose here. Next, the uncertainties of life. In verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The one who's just sitting around watching for the perfect time. Like the picture of the farmer waiting for just the perfect time to sow and reap. We'll sit around waiting and watching for the perfect time. Watching for ideal conditions that very rarely, if ever, exist. Today is too windy to sow seed. Or maybe it'll rain. Weatherman says, y'all know the weatherman's forecast is not really reliable. I don't know how those dudes make that much money. It's a very hard thing to do, evidently. Especially on the coast. I remember one time we lived out by the, the sound and the weatherman said, rain will be spotty. It rained all day. We said, we must live in spotty. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to step out in faith, right? A lot of times. Don't wait for ideal conditions to give. Trust God. If He calls you to do it, He'll support it. Make the most of every opportunity, even if it's cloudy, even if it doesn't look like it's going to work. Don't just be sitting back and waiting for the ideal conditions. That's true about following Jesus in a lot of ways. We walk by faith and not by sight, Scripture says, right? We trust Him and do what He calls us to do, even if it looks like it doesn't make sense. Some of you are itching right now. Everything's neat and tidy in a box and very orderly and can't anything come out of place. And oh my. Some of us are not nearly as neat and tidy as we should be. But don't wait for ideal conditions. Step out. Don't let the uncertainties of life slow you down. And then the mysterious. You'll never have all the answers. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. Why? Don't forget the rest of the verse. That we may do His commandments. That we may obey Him and follow Him. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. If you're a rationalist, very few things are going to work. There's a lot of mystery in life. You'll never have all knowledge. Sometimes you have to obey in faith even when it doesn't look like it is going to work. You will never know all of the future. It would scare you to death if God let you see the future. Don't let the unknown paralyze you. Don't go into analysis paralysis. God says, do it, do it. Give without always knowing how things are going to work out. Work. Yeah, it's supposed to rain. Well, go to work and see if it rains. Or if it rains too hard that you can't work. Be diligent. 
but give without knowing how things... You remember in Mark, in chapter 12, verse 44, but it's a bigger context than that. Do you remember what, who Jesus said gave the most? It was the poor widow. And how much did the poor widow give? Now, not, we're not comparing it to the others who just gave out of their abundance. The poor widow gave everything she had to live on. And Jesus praised her. She didn't know how it was going to work out. She certainly didn't know she was going to end up in Scripture. I'm not promising you, you will, because it's closed. But see the faith there? She knew she was to give to God. And she did it over abundantly. Paul bragging on people. If you go read 2 Corinthians 8 and other verses, he's bragging on people for giving over and above what they were able to give. Why? Because they were trusting God. We're not getting ready to start a giving campaign if you're wondering why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because this is the verses I came across this week. Right? God loves a cheerful giver with a generous spirit, and He will support every one of them. Trust Him. Stretch. Be fearlessly generous with everything that you are in service to Christ, out of love for Christ and your brothers and sisters. Give when you give primarily to the Lord and through that to the need. And look what God promises in Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous, notice it doesn't say whoever is miserly. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. In order to be a giver, we have to be looking, just like the rest of life, we're looking to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? Okay, this is what you would have me do. I don't see how that's going to work. I'm going to do this. Now, don't, I'm not calling you to be foolish, but be generous, hilariously generous. And in order, there's a last element here I want to bring out. The first two, stay focused. Obey God. Stay focused, right? Don't let the things of this world, the unpredictable things of this world, shake you. And then be generous by being, being diligent. Third point. Be generous by being diligent. Work hard. Don't let the government give you everything. Send it back if you need to. The government is ruining the economy by giving people more money than they can make if they go to work. People all over the place are having a terrible time finding people who will work. And lazy people love to have it that way. If you want to live off the dole, you deserve what you get. But it's not taking us to a good place. You know the government doesn't have any money? Did you, do you think about that? You know whose money they're giving away? Yours. I mean, you hear people say silly things like, I don't pay taxes, I get a refund. God called, you want to be joyful, work hard. That's one of the messages of Ecclesiastes. Joy comes through diligence, diligent effort. And look what this says in verse 6. I'm almost done meddling. I'm meddling with me first and then with you. In the morning sow your seed. Look at verse 6. And in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What does he mean? Just work hard. Not just throw some seed out in the morning. Eh, you'll see what happens. Right? But there's a picture here. When it says do not withhold your hand, that, that means do not let your hand rest. It's a Hebrew idiom for do not stop working all day. Morning and evening. Work hard. In the picture of the farmer, sow, 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 cultivate, cultivate, reap. You know, it's a, it's a hard job. If you didn't know, if you've never done that kind of thing, kids, it might be good for you to, before you go to college or whatever, to take a summer and go work with a farmer. Amen. <laughs> You'll be glad to go to school. 
because it's early and late and hard work. Using that example, work hard. If you're going to give generously, you're going to have to work hard. You're not the government. That will come to an end, by the way. Prepare for that. This cash cow is going to run out. I'm sorry. I'm stopping. Verse 6, work hard. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily. Work hard. Give yourself to it. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Are you a plumber and a Christian? You're serving Christ. Are you a lawyer and a Christian? Are you a cook and a Christian? You name, you fill in the occupation. It's a calling. And if in that calling you seek to honor Jesus and do the very best you can, even if those around you hate it because you're messing up the curve for them, you do the very best you can in service to Christ knowing that He will reward that. He rewards diligence. And let one of the motivations, this is another layer, one of the main motivations for you working hard is in order to give. Work to give for the honor of the Lord and good around those around. Where do I get such a silly thing as that? Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4 is full of lots of nicely convicting things if you haven't read it lately. But look at this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that... You see that purpose statement there? doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I mean, that's what we see happening in the early church, right? Those who own lands and things, they, were sell- they weren't selling everything they had, but they were selling things that they owned and putting that money at the apostles' feet. Why? So that the poor in the church and the needy in the church, not the lazy, you see that later, if a man will not work, he shall not eat, so that needs were supplied, so that none were needy. Work so that you can give. I mean, honestly, is that even on our radar? God, I'm going to work hard today so that I can give. Yes, give to your family. You must take care of your family. Yes, give to your neighbor if they're in need. Yes, give to your church. Give to God first. In various other ways. Seven or eight. Hilariously, diligently generous. Focused, diligent generosity. See, all of this, and, I, and I've got to go because we're doing communion. All of this we're discussing today pictures Christ for us. Focused. Face set like flint to go to Jerusalem, to, to get on that cross, to save His people. He was devoted to obeying the Father. It was His food to do the Father's will. He walked right through the distractions and the temptations and the hardships of this world. He was perfectly diligent to finish the work of redemption that the Father had given to Him. And we are redeemed because Jesus was a joyful, focused, diligent giver of Himself. Listen to me. If you're not trusting Jesus this morning, that means you're trusting yourself. There's only two religions on this planet. Did you know that? Something in my hands I bring, and nothing in my hands I bring. And everything but Christianity is man's attempt to satisfy God and make His way. And Christianity is salvation as a free gift. Why can it be a free gift? Because Christ came and sacrificed Himself for us. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He fulfilled all righteousness. He deserved only blessing. But He took on our need, our debt. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. The suffering, the physical suffering on that cross was horrible. But it was nothing compared to the justice, the hell that was poured out on Him to satisfy for our sins. That's why He sweat blood before He went to the cross the night before. Because He knew, He wasn't afraid of the nails. He was afraid of the justice of God coming down on him. And he literally had blood coming out through his sweat because he knew what he would face. But he satisfied justice. He died 
The soul that sins shall die, right? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. You, if you're not trusting Jesus, you're trusting in yourself, and you will pay the wages. Physical death, it's coming. Maybe sooner than you think. Spiritual death, unresponsive to God. Wages of sin, not just suffering in this life, but hell forever. You want that? I don't think so. Not if you're thinking right. But see, the beauty of Christ and the beauty of His giving is that He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. He is risen and reigns today and is coming again someday. Children, kids, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. Yes. Yes, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Peter, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus out of His own mouth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you won't have Jesus, you'll have yourself and you'll answer for your own sin. You've broken every one of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, and deed. And there's nowhere to go with that. But if you will have Jesus, if you will receive His gift of Himself, if you will trust in Him and solely in Him, you will be forgiven of your sins, cleansed. You will be clothed in His righteousness, righteous on the basis of His doing and dying. You will be adopted into God's family, empowered by His Spirit to grow in grace, to follow Him. In his call for us to follow him, one of the ways we do so is being joyfully obedient by being focused, diligent, generous givers. Giving of our time, talents, and resources to his kingdom. Being over the top givers to seven, to eight. Therefore, storing up treasure in heaven on that day. Of reward and finding great freedom and joy here in this world. Last, just one little, I'm going to pick at you just a little bit more. And if some of you have already done this, that doesn't mean you've done this. I'll, I'll challenge you. Like Jesus, work and give to the end. Never retire from working and giving. Now, that, that may change the way it looks, right? You may be working a job where they say at 65, you're out of here. Something like that. But that don't mean you stop working and giving. Our whole life should be service to Him. Working, working in order to give, earning. But I mean, how many people have you seen that's, that retire and die? Bear Bryant lived six months after he retired. My mother repaired, retired five times. She kept going back to work. Couldn't stand it. She said, I ain't got any more grass to cut. No more trips to take. I'm going back to work. <clears throat> work and give to the end. I mentioned R.C. Sproul earlier. And he's a good example. He preached his last sermon two and a half weeks before he died. And his last sentence from the pulpit was this. I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Christ. I don't want to traumatize you, but I hope I die preaching. Never stopping. Never stop serving. But if we do, if God answers that prayer so that each one of us grasp and see the sweetness, he got that from Jonathan Edwards, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel, if we see the beauty of our Savior and the greatness of His gift of Himself to us, the salvation that we have, which is a free gift in Him, if God is pleased to open our eyes to that, 
if He's pleased to do so, we will be much less about ourselves and much more about God and others. And it will truly be our joy to give greatly of our time, of our talent, and our resources to His kingdom. So please, let's not have the mindset of our opening song. Money, stuff, that's what I want. Grab all the gusto now. You only go around once. Life is about here, no. Life is about Christ. Storing treasure in heaven, loving and following and serving Him. Let's purpose to be more like our glorious Savior whose life was all about giving. Don't work to have. Work to give. Believe your Savior. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember our main point. Because of God's generosity to you in Christ, pursue a life of diligent, focused generosity. All for His glory and our good. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that sanctification is a work of grace. And I pray that you'd answer R.C.'s last statement and desire his prayer. I pray that you'd do that in each and every one of us, that you'd refresh us and renew us as to the sweetness and loveliness and glory of our Christ and his salvation, such that the things of the world grow dim in the light of His glory and grace. And it is our joy and delight, Lord Jesus. Help it to be more and more our joy and delight to love and serve You, to love and serve one another, to love and serve our neighbor, to be diligent, focused, hilarious givers for the One who has given Himself for us. Open blind eyes to salvation this morning, Lord. Sow seeds of the gospel. Grow your people to grow in what we confess every week. To live is Christ. Life is about Christ. And therefore, death is gain. Hallelujah, what a Savior. May we follow you with joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.